get ready. I mean, get ready, 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 ready. Welcome back, Mitties, to the Intentional Leadership Podcast, powered by Academy of Dallas and Bear County Academy Public Charter School. And we're excited, as always, to have some of the most phenomenal leaders uh, participating in our podcast. And today we have Dr. Snow. And would you please introduce yourself to us, sir? Good morning. I'm Dr. Billy Snow, uh, CEO and founder of Transformation Leaders Network and uh, history of education and leadership in Texas. Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Look, he's been a little shy. He's done <laughs> uh, quite a bit of things. I had the phenomenal experience to really meet him as one of uh, um, the keynote speakers at the Charter School Summit. Uh, but talk to us a little bit more about some of the other roles that you had as an educator. Great. Thank you so much. And first of all, I'm really glad to be here. And excited about being a part of your podcast. Um, just amazing opportunity. Um, I, I was a teacher in, in Texas. I taught third grade, then was an assistant principal. Um, I led two schools as, as a principal and then turned them both around as the principal leader. Um, then after that was an area superintendent in Mansfield, Texas, before going to probably the role that changed my life the most, which was uh, chief of transformation and innovation in Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, took 10 schools there that were failing and took them out of failing status, and really learned a lot about racial equity and about changing kids' lives um, intentionally by focusing on equity with intentionality. Um, from there, went to uh, Dallas ISD and created new schools or schools of choice. The latest one, for example, was the Montessori School in downtown Dallas that we had a part of creating. And then I was superintendent in a district in the Dallas-Fort Worth area um, before starting my own business of Transformation Leadership Leaders Network in the fall of 2019, we focus on equity, leadership development, and school transformation. Thank you so much. Like I told you, we get the best, <laughs> best leaders to come and impart knowledge as a part of our professional growth and development. So we're going to start off because we have this um, expert in the building kind of talking about what is your definition of intentional leadership? You know, when I think of intentional leadership, I think um, of a few things. I think that you have to focus on intentionality around leading people. Um, that doesn't happen by accident. Um, leading with heart, um, leading with service, uh, leading instructionally, and then leading for equity. And so I kind of categorize them into some big rocks. Um, and I think that, in, for example, in the area of, of equity, um, our country has a history of, you know, 400 years of oppression and systemic racism and classism. And those things cannot be changed without intentionality. Um, a lot of us grow up, as, as a white male, a lot of us grow up not even reali realizing we have white privilege because life was, quote, hard, living with a single mom or whatever economic circumstance. And I didn't realize till later, when I was in Shreveport, Louisiana, actually, that even in my, the way I grew up, poor and with a single mom, that I never had to think about race. I never had to worry about getting stopped by a police officer. I never got followed in my car. Um, I never had to worry about having certified teachers. And so when I think about intentionality, 
Um, equity comes up is probably the biggest thing that you cannot write the system and you cannot change the system for the better without intentionality. It takes focus um, and it takes um, sometimes dismantling and disrupting um, the system with intentionality. Um, some systems require disruption and um, you cannot disrupt something by just blowing it up. You have to intentionally study it and figure out where you can make the most impact and what your plan is going to be to get there. I know uh, it's, it's so many different <laughs> things that you said with me. I'm going to do my best to dissect it because it's very important that the audience really understand the work that you're doing as a leader and how intentional you are as a leader is for its transformation and, communi- and communicating equity. Um, and that's where we're going to start with that. Okay. Let's, 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 let's drill deeper into equity and the disparities that you've witnessed or encountered as a teacher, sure. as a principal, mm-hmm. as an area superintendent, as a cool. superintendent. And how have you assisted in transforming that environment? Awesome. Awesome. So if you don't mind me going back to when I was a first-year principal, when I was 29 years old, bright-eyed, longer hair, braces, because <laughs> I could finally afford braces. Right, right. <laughs> um, you know, I saw that 20% of my African-American students were in special education mm-hmm. and that the African-American and Hispanic students weren't performing in math and science specifically, um, like 30 40% passing. And I knew it was wrong, but I didn't know why. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I had a hunch that it was about um, low expectations for uh, children of color, but I really didn't know how to fix it. And so when I started working with my teachers, um, one of the things we did is we studied, you know, how do you best reach children? How do you best reach children of color? How do you reach uh, best reach boys? And included more strategies like movement and being able to have small group purposeful talk, um, included more data-driven instruction, and then also just raise the expectations on purpose because 20% of our African-American students were not special education students. They were mislabeled. And within three years, um, that number dropped to 3% uh, in special education for the African-American population. And 100% of my African-American students passed the math and science test. They became the highest performing subgroup in the building. So what did we prove to all of the teachers and all of the kids? We proved that the adults are the ones that create the system of success or failure. And that it's not the kids, and it certainly isn't race, but it's up to us to fix it. So the intentionality behind fixing that was important. Then when I went to Mansfield um, and I was an area superintendent, they asked me, they were like, well, we want you to have the Title I schools. That's your passion. Mm-hmm. Nobody mm-hmm. else can. Nobody else could do that. We want you to have them. <clears throat> and so I was like, great. I mean, that's my passion, right? Um, but I noticed the expectations were lower. And I noticed that um, as long as, you know, people kept the parents happy and the teachers happy, there really wasn't any pressure or any stress and Instead, what I focused on was at every single one of my schools, there were academic gaps for children of color. And because of what we did with intervention and having a intervention time built into the day and no kids pulled out from core instruction, and because of what we did with co-teaching and some of our other efforts, intentionally changing the system, yes, my schools started getting um, academic distinctions and started performing right up there with everybody else. But then when I went to Shreveport... Um, When I first walked in and toured the schools, there were kids literally running around in the third floor of a high school um, without any control. Um, There were barbed wire fences around some of the schools. 
Um, I've seen them. Yes. Uh, 500 kids a year were getting arrested at my two high schools. Um, graduation rates were 44 to 50% at the two high schools I had. And every school had been a failing school for like 10 to 12 years. Can I put a pen in something? Yes, yes sir. I have, to, <laughs> I have to say it because I want the audience, my mentees, to actually get what he said. He said, my high schools, ownership. He owned it. This, this is these are my high schools. I'm responsible for the teachers, but more specifically, those students within those high schools. That is ownership. Had to put a pin in it because it's <laughs> so significant that as an attentional leader, you have to own it. Absolutely. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Because you're gonna own the success <laughs> if you're successful. Absolutely. Continue. I apologize. Oh no, that was great and a great point to make. Um, because, you know, I had to look at so many systems and own them all and also challenge the system. Because when you um, start to change them, you know, we painted every school, we prioritized the work orders, took down the barbed wire fences uh, with... It's um, not a prison. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what I said. They were like, well, we can't. It'll be, there's too much crime over there. And I was like, no, you're creating systems for them to learn how to be a part of mass incarceration. Absolutely. If you take down the fences and you paint the schools and you provide an awesome place for these kids to go to school, you won't need to worry about crime. And sure enough, that's what we saw had happened. Um, we changed, of course, the climate and culture systems and different big rocks, um, instructional systems, intervention again, push in mm -hmm. intervention. And in just those two years, graduation wait, rates went up 30%. The number of arrests went down from 500 a year to 11. Discipline went down 60 to 80 percent at every school. Nine out of 10 of my schools came out of F status. And then five of those 10 schools became Louisiana top gain schools. But even more than that, it changed for people like Markavion. Markavion, I met him when he was in seventh grade. He had 16 office referrals bef every year before we cha changed the transformation zone and put all these things in place. I started mentoring him and two other young men, um, got him involved in band, got him involved in Kappa League, got him involved in different... Kappa League. You know I, I know, I know right? Yeah, you know about that. <laughs> got him involved in different activities, but also just changed the educational system and, and loved him. Um, he, after that year, the, the first year, never went back to the office again, ever. Um, he ended up graduating from Woodlawn High School in 2020, and he ended up going to Grambling State University. And he will be the first one to ever graduate from college in his family. And that required intentionality. That required changing the system on purpose for kids like Mark Avion, not just for a rating of a F, a D, or a C, or an A. Absolutely. It's about his life. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm so excited about the conversation because – when you talk about transformation and you're identifying a specific student, I know you you impacted more than just, is it Kavion? Mark Kavion. Mark Kavion. And to the, the story is a testament to the work and the labor of love and the compassion that you have around equity for all. For all. Um, talk to me a little bit more about, you know, I've heard of it, but talk to me about the transformation zone in Louisiana. Absolutely. So um, we actually ended up becoming a model for the state of Louisiana, and actually that spilled over into Texas starting transformation zones. Um, it started as 10 schools that were all failing, and the state was going to take them over. Um, two, two high schools, two middle schools, and six elementaries. Um, the superintendent brought me in, um, again, because I just had the passion for that work and the, the love and heart for that work. And the goal was simple. 
get them out of failing status and turn them around so that they could not be taken over by the state of Louisiana and either shut down or turned into other kinds of schools. Um, and when you, they were out of control, um, the community uh, thought very poorly of them. Um, the number of times I had people in the community um, talk about my kids being thugs um, was hard. Um, people would ask me sometimes if I ever felt scared to go to my schools or my neighborhoods. And I'm like, no, no, not at all. Um, and so the, the intentionality, uh, we changed, we changed the environment as far as culture and climate. We had expectations such as we give eye contact we say, yes, ma'am and no, ma'am and yes, sir. and No, sir. We shake hands and greet people. We say, thank you within three seconds of receiving something or the item will be taken away. We answer in complete sentences mm -hmm. and we, um, defend by saying, I agree or disagree and citing evidence. When you go and you imp implement those the first semester you're there, and you see second graders standing and talking in complete sentences and agreeing and disagree disagreeing respectfully, you know you're changing the world. You know you're changing communication and you're changing what, what kids can, can do and what they see themselves doing. We also changed, of course, instructional practices, like teaching math from concrete to representational to abstract, all the boring stuff, you know, <laughs> intervention time with no pullouts, uh, co-teaching for inclusion, et cetera. Um, but some of the other stuff that we did in the transformation zone – was um, around like life skills or social skills. Um, we started a competition called the Amazing Shake, modeled after the Ron Clark Academy. Mm -hmm. um, taught kids how to do um, a competition, handshake, eye contact, back and forth communication, public speaking. When we went through the competition, um, kids got to interact and meet five people in 20 minutes and be scored. And there was a round of etiquette at a fancy dinner. Um, there was another round that was a debate. And then finally, the winners from each school, one from each school, got to go to Washington, D.C. and give a speech as if they were president of the United States. None of them had traveled out of Shreveport. They all had to write a, a, a speech with three different prongs of their platform. And we visited, we awarded the winner on the steps of the, the Capitol, the, wow. same, the same Capitol that was attacked on January 6th. We, our kids, won um, on the steps of the Capitol. We went to um, the uh, George Washington's home, Mount Vernon. Mm -hmm. We went to the um, the uh, Smithsonian African American History and Culture Museum, and I remember Theodore. He was seventeen at the time. We had just been to those two places, and he came up to me and he was like, "Mr. Snow," because I was Mister at the time, not Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> um, he came up to me and he said, um, "Mr. Snow, I have a question." He said, um, I noticed they kept the male slaves over here and the female slaves in a different quarters, and they only got them together, you know, once a month or so. Were they breeding us like cattle? Mm. And I listened to him, and I just pondered, and I didn't answer. And then he gave some other examples from his own life and said, is it possible that our country, our families, and our, our neighborhoods still reflect the effects of slavery as a system? And I'm blown away. And in that conversation, I told him, I said, you know, I want you to go talk to your superintendent who happens to be a black man who grew up here, who married his high school sweetheart, who has a doctorate, who broke, broke cycles. And I want you to ask him that same, those same questions and then come back to me and talk about it. And watching them walk the banks of the Potomac River talking about black history and talking about um, the effects that still exist today cemented in my mind the intentionality around which equity has to be addressed because these schools kids needed to learn their identity 
They needed to learn who they were. They needed to learn that their past was not just slavery and being broken, but that their past was beautiful and to overcome as a people without any resources after slavery was was gone, with all that we did to make it difficult, that they are powerful. And I think when you realize that kids are powerful and you can go into there with intentionality in these schools, you change kids' lives. And that's what the Transformation Zone taught me, is turning them around. In turning them around, we had to intentionally focus on equity. And that district then started I had, I had principals teaching math classes because we didn't have enough certified teachers. Only 50% of my teachers were certified. But my principals and teachers made the same as somebody working at a magnet school or somebody working somewhere where it was easier. But over the course of my time there, we ended up adding $20,000 of additional pay to principals and teachers who worked in our schools and, and retention bonuses and things like that. Not for combat pay, but because your work is so important that it is important to focus intentionally on making certified teachers accessible to these children. And that's another way you focus on equity, is looking at the problem and fighting it, even when you're followed in your car and you're sent threatening text messages and you're threatened on a regular basis, which is what happened to me. Right. But to intentionally change the system, you have to address the wrongs and disrupt and create something new. It's kind of a long answer for the transformation zone. No, it changed my life. No, no, <laughs> it, it's it's a it's it's long to you, but it's it's definitely uh, worthy of discussion because as a transformational leader, mm-hmm. um, and and me personally being spo- exposed to those environment, I see the passion. I feel the passion that you have in the work, and. Um, as a leader or even as an educator, and I've said this on multiple broadcasts, it's important to have people in position that are passionate about the work. Mm-hmm. Every, I, I feel that, of course, we're underpaid as educators, um, but it has, it has to be beyond the pay. It has mm-hmm. to be about the children. And, I, and as, a, as a leader myself, and this is a conversation, so it's organic, <laughs> I, and I'm reflecting on me at this moment as a leader and how, it, how important it is for them to know their story mm-hmm. and their history. And I respect you that as a white male that you referred him to a black male to inform, of, inform him about his culture and their experiences. That is something that you could not do, but you were wise enough to say this, this information that you're asking, you deserve to know, yes. you deserve to know the truth, but I'm going to refer you to that person. Absolutely. And I also hear the compassion that you have around equity and the dispar- disparity. And we talk about it, and this is a candid conversation as it relates to systemic change, and we're still facing that especially in Texas. We know that that's a hot, sensitive topic right now as it relates to, quote, feelings and how um, we uh, discuss uh, the uh, diversity and and the history as it relates to African Americans. Uh, But I do, too, agree with you. Equity in the schools are important. So let's, let's talk about how can a leader in a building 
assure that that is in that they that they are aware of that and they are supporting uh, that culture mm-hmm. and providing that climate for that uh, to to occur. Awesome, that's a, a great question, and I, I've done some work with um, school districts and schools around uh, racial equity action team planning, and that's an intentional approach um, that requires asking the right questions looking at the right data and asking more questions. And some of the things that we've found that work really well in addressing equity at any school is, number one, um, let's teachers and, and school buildings make the school, dis- the school buildings and the classrooms look like your kids. Um, let's use posters and art um, from a variety of cultures. Um, let's pick books that are also reflective of a variety of cultures. Absolutely. Yeah, so the number one strategy I can tell principals and teachers is to make the school classroom and building reflect all the cultures in your building. Um, it doesn't mean you can't be a patriotic American. In fact, our diversity makes us stronger so we can celebrate all of us together. Um, I think another strategy that comes up is that teachers or leaders need to intentionally plan professional development and coaching around strategies for equity. Yes. Like culturally relevant practices. Um, How do you um, get kids to talk more and have small group purposeful talk or get them to move more? How do you get them to be able to express their culture more? Um, So there are professional developments that principals need to implement that are around culturally relevant practices. That's another strategy. The third one that I think works really well is them taking data or focusing on all your data points and asking questions. A lot of times we have so much data that we allow it to persecute us and to make us, you know, feel less than what we are or whatever. But in actuality, if I look at, I was working with one district and we were looking at discipline issues. Well, African-American boys were the predominant group that was getting sent to the office, suspended in ISS. So we started asking, first question is, is there a difference in the way African-American boys are disciplined at the building? And so gathering data. The next question we asked was, why is there a difference? Well, you know what we, we did because of that was actually interview kids, interview black boys, interview parents, interview teachers to find some root causes of why black boys were being disciplined and sent to the office and suspended more. Well, only when we studied the problem and studied the data and asked the right questions could we then come up with a solution mm-hmm. or some action research to do to actually fix the problem. And so I, I would really suggest that leaders who really are intentional about equity or want to be intentional about equity, the first and easiest thing is make those classrooms look like your kids. The second thing is incorporate some coaching and professional development on culturally relevant practices. It doesn't have to be intimidating, but it, there are some easy things that can be done. And then thirdly, look at all your data, ask questions about all the gaps, and don't jump to conclusions and just throw a strategy at your teachers but study it long enough to where you can make an informed decision about what you might want to do and listen to the kids. Listen to ki- talk to the kids, find out about why they get in trouble or what's the problem. They, you, we can't always decide that Bobby is a mess because he just is bad or whatever the case may, may right. be. But if I interview Bobby and find out, you know, Hey, what do you get in trouble for? What do you like about your teacher? What do you not like? What do you hate about school? What do you love about school? If I ask and interview him, he starts to feel more ownership into his education, and we listen. To, we can listen to the kids because it is about them. It's not about us. Totally. <laughs> it, okay, bit too easy. It was so many nuggets <laughs> in that. I, again, we it, it's a wealth 
of information that I'm hearing, and I'm, I'm, I'm certain that you all enjoying the conversation as much as I am, and definitely Dr. S- uh, Snow will be back, and we will go in-depth on some of these topics that he's <laughs> discussing. Um, so one of the key things that I pulled away specifically as it relates to providing an environment for students, you recognize that students of color learn differently. And you were willing to make that shift. You talked about, and we know, again, you made it specifically at Boys of Color and the movement, mm-hmm. being able to move around and, and, and rhythm, rhythmic learning through, yes. uh, through rap and song. And I, it, I reflect on that because as a math teacher, that's some of the things that I did in order to, uh, to teach. I allowed them to develop a rap Yep. To rem- if you can remember it that way, yep. then do it. I had uh, cheerleaders in the in, in, that were in the the class. They developed a cheer a cheer as well, allowing that opportunity to um, create an environment where they were comfortable. It was fun. It was exciting engagement, and it was not just basically me giving them the information they're supposed to absorb it. Yeah. So providing that opportunity. Absolutely. Well, our industrial education system was based on teaching white children in classes in rows in a very, in a factory model. And the black culture, for example, is the history. When you're not allowed to learn how to read, and when reading and writing are illegal, what do you do? You talk, you sing, you dance, you communicate through movement and through your words and through song. And um, that's beautiful. And so um, why do kids have to sit down and to be totally quiet and act like robots? Uh, why can't they move around? Why can't you teach kids to talk about what they're learning and have, have purposeful talk? But there's, I can't just tell teachers, do this. I've got to explain the why. I have to teach them how to use these strategies. And then I have to engage them in trying them out and figuring out, okay, that really did work. I'm going to take it to the next level. Um, so that intentional um, recognition that culture is important and that all of our cultures are important require us to serve all different kids. <laughs> let's let's talk about that because a lot of people get confused, and I'm not going to define it. I'm going to allow you to define <laughs> it. Culture, mm-hmm. climate, because they're not the same, right, but they're right, used right. Uh, synonymously, you know. Yes, but they they're, t- they're actually different. So talk to me about your definition of culture, and then climate. Sure. So um, culture and climate at the school, of course, is, you know, climate is like the weather. It's how it feels. When you walk in the front office, is it friendly? What do your classrooms look and feel and sound like? What do you feel in each one of them? Um, Culture is more about the way you do things. Um, What we do here is we celebrate our cultures throughout the year, or we celebrate black history, or we teach. We have real history classes and real history curriculum. Um, we have celebrations and traditions. Um, outside of the classroom environment, culture is, is still most, I think, most reflected in saying it's the way we live. It's the way African-American students live, the way Hispanic students live, the way Anglo students live. It's, it's life. It's who we are as a people, and they're all, they're all important. But at the, at the classroom level, at the school level, I just tend to think of one as the weather and one about how, how the school feels and how the classroom feels, climate. And the other one is, you know, what do we do at this school, at Bowie Elementary School? What do we do at this school right. that's, that's different and special and, and a way of life here 
that makes us who we are as a school. Yeah, make us unique. <laughs> makes and us unique. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And when I was a principal, that was one of the things that people said when they came and visited, because we usually got lots of visitors based on what we did, and they would always say, you can feel how special this school is when you walk in. You can feel the climate. You can feel the way you do things is different, and that's special. And I think that all, all leaders should strive for that. But you cannot create it without intentionality. It doesn't happen by accident. Absolutely. You have to plan out every little bit of that to be able to make sure that you have your climate and culture reflect who you want to be as a school. Speak to um, your various roles again. We're going to go back because you're, you're, you're touching on the teacher who's the leader of the class, and then you have the principal who's the leader of the building, and you have the superintendent or associate superintendent that's leading or supporting in the district capacity. Talk about how do you support equity in each of those roles? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I think as a teacher you focus on within your classroom walls how do you reach all the children? How do you engage all the children? How do you help each one of them get to the highest level? Um, by the way, you organize your classroom, the way you teach your lessons, making it student-centered instead of teacher-centered. I think when you're a principal, your job really is about setting direction and setting values. Um, you have to communicate that it's unacceptable to only have success with some kids. Did you hear that? <laughs> Could you repeat that, sir? Yes, as a principal. You have to communicate that it is unacceptable to only have success with some kids. I remember teachers would ask sometimes when I first got started the first three years, why is this important? And I'd be like, because we're going to be an exemplary campus, one of the top in Texas, because the minimum expectation should be that 100% of our students are successful, regardless of race, class, what's in their wallet, or what zip code they are. And that was hard for teachers to hear because – there's always those kids, in quotes, that people talk about. Um, so I think you have to communicate and you have to set the vision, but then you have to coach people around all of your priorities and make sure that you hold people accountable, not in a negative way, really, but by supporting and encouraging and coaching them up. But then you also have to make hard decisions. I have a little saying that um, the moment you pass by something that is unacceptable and you don't do anything about it, you have then lowered the bar for everyone. And you have to do something about it. So there were times I had to remove teachers and, and get teachers out of the classroom who were not on the same page as what Absolutely. we needed. Absolutely. You can't, we got to have good for everybody. Absolutely. Um, then as a, as an area superintendent or at central office, um, I think it becomes, or I noticed it became a little bit more about um, data management, um, study, um, setting direction and vision, and then picking the right like professional development and the right focus areas um, for your team, whether all of my schools, for example, right. um, and for the people around you. And so it became more of, you know, be the visionary, be the communicator, um, and then set up your system to where they have to respond to that system. Like, I don't like where people talk about buy-in. So Paul Bamrick Santoyo says, says something about how never try for 100% buy-in because you're not going to get it. Implement the procedures, structures, practices, and expectations that force. That's good. Yes, that force buy-in through implementation. That's good, you guys. Yeah, listen mm. up, listen up. Because once people start to feel successful and like it's working, that's when you get the rest of the buy-in. You're always going to have 50% of the people who are going to buy in immediately and 50% of the people who are going to drag your feet. 
but it's what you do as a leader to set up your systems, practices, structures, and accountability to where implementation causes the eventual buy-in through results. Absolutely. And I think that's what really is interesting also at the central office level is that you, you can't be running all over the place, chasing every bandwagon, buying every program, um, buying every curriculum. <laughs> Focus on the right things. Pick, four, pick the four big rocks. Mm-hmm. Our culture and climate's going to look like this. Or the three big rocks. Oh, yes. Three big rocks. But rock. you notice there's not very many. <laughs> no. There's, it's because simple, you know, keep it simple, stupid. Right. right? Um, people can't do everything. You can't. Focus on the main things. <laughs> that that is the premise of the book. What of I live by that the premise. What what are the three things I'm going to do today, or the three things I'm going to accomplish this year? Mm-hmm. You know, as an administrator, because you can't do all of these things. That's why I say the three big rocks as a part of absolutely of, um, my coaching, as a part of my book, and so forth. Well, congratulations I w- on your book. Too. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you. I'm excited about it, um, and I'm working on some some other things in the real in the near future. I'm excited to share with my mid teens. All right. This has been a wonderful conversation, very organic, and definitely I would like to come back and have further discussions because I know that the leaders that are listening here and those individuals that are not just in education can get nuggets of wisdom from Dr. Snow. I have three questions that I always end out with All the right. podcast. All right. Question number one. I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> what motivates you? Oh, no. See, you're going to make me cry. You weren't supposed to do that. Um, it happens. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> That's why these three questions are important, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, changing lives. And I think about Mark Avion and Khalil and Matthew and how even on the days when I beat myself up about what I didn't accomplish – but if I hadn't come into their lives, they wouldn't, their lives wouldn't have changed. And so changing lives would be the thing that motivates me the most. Beautiful, beautiful. How do you inspire others? I think you inspire people um, not necessarily through your words, although your words are important, but through your service and through your actions. Like when they see me talk about something and then they see me go tutor or work with kids or whatever, um, they see organic realness and authenticity. And I think authenticity inspires people. How have you, as an intentional leader, caused transformation? Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, like he doesn't mm. answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's, um, gosh, I mean, that is actually a very complicated question. But I think that I inspire or cause transformation in my schools by um, focusing on every child and knowing that my job was to lead and grow teachers to get to every child and then producing the results. Um, because if you don't get the results, it doesn't matter. Um, I think in my, the system work with the transformation zone and so forth, um, that it was casting a vision, creating the three or four big rocks, holding us accountable for them. But then even more than that, service. Um, we had to learn to care about kids for real, not just say we did, show through our actions and serve kids and families and make everything connect in order for the transformations to really work. And, and those relationships and that service attitude are huge. So I think in each case, set your vision, care about people, and show that you care about people by doing what it takes, doing what it takes to transform those kids because there is no reason 
that only 50% of my students had a certified teacher when we started out. No reason that they needed barbed wire around their schools. No reason why the water fountains didn't work, the bathrooms didn't work, and why the paint was uh, falling off and chipping off the walls. That would never have happened at one of the rich schools. So intentionality. Change the system. Disrupt it. Well, Dr. Snow, (laughs) I'm not going to (laughs) cry. But I would like to say thank you again for your words of wisdom. Um, I I know my mentees are excited about the information that they receive. And as always, the genesis of change begins from within. Leadership.